Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, we've got an episode about Bitcoin core contribution. But first, let me introduce the sponsors of the show. So firstly, look into Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges, renowned for having a high quality platform, high trading volume, low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support. They offer best-in-class accounting, reconciliation and reporting services. They've also just recently announced Kraken Pro mobile app. And Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken exchange in in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. You generate an API key from the Kraken website and then uh, interact with the app that way. Kraken have an OTC desk, which provides more private and personalized service for large block trades. They've got Kraken margin, which is up to five times long and short. And they've also got futures, up to 50 times leverage to benefit from price swings or to hedge your price risk. So go to kraken.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control. All their products and services are built on multi-signature and their approach to collaborative custody gives users control over their private keys as well as the benefit of a financial partner in financial services. So Unchained offer a two of three vault. Uh, They're a great option for those thinking about how best to secure their Bitcoin for the long term. And if you ever need to access liquidity but without selling your Bitcoin, Unchained's collateralized loans are a unique option. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain, dedicated multi-signature addresses. The Bitcoin is never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security by holding one of three keys in that scenario. So I'm really impressed with Unchained. Check out my recent interview with Drew of Bounsol as well. They offer excellent services. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them for your Bitcoin financial services. So go and learn more at unchained-capital.com. Next up, check out GiveBitcoin.io. Have you ever given Bitcoin to people and then found that they lost it? Well, this is one thing that GiveBitcoin is going to try and solve. It's the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. I saw huge value in this because you can now time lock your Bitcoin gift for one to five years. And basically, you give, you time lock, and then you educate. So GiveBitcoin delivers a lesson from world-class curriculum with input from well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm an advisor as well with a small equity stake, and I'm assisting with the curriculum. And you can also get Bitcoin as a present for birthdays, Christmas, bar mitzvahs, graduation, wedding. Put Bitcoin on your wish list at givebitcoin.io. I think givebitcoin.io can have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Last but not least, Bitcoin Outlet. Bitcoin Outlet delivers rare and extraordinary merchandise to warriors of Bitcoin. Outstanding design is not blindly slapping your logo on any object. At Bitcoin Outlet, every product they carry is a work of art with a thoughtful design. And in keeping with the ethos of Bitcoin, all products created at Bitcoin Outlet are limited edition. So once that product sells out, that's all folks. So if you buy something from Bitcoin Outlet, you'll be one of the only people in the world who have it. Bitcoin Outlet is a sister company to Canada's Bull Bitcoin. Both companies, Bitcoin maximalists through and through, only supporting Bitcoin. In case you didn't hear the first time, only Bitcoin. So this core belief has led them to align with other unapologetically maximalist companies. So if you want to rock some merch from a designer with actual moral compass and unwavering maximalist views, go to bitcoinoutlet.com, get yourself some apparel there. Use the coupon code LAVERA for 21% off anything in store. So today my interview is with John Attack. I met him at the Lightning Conference in Berlin. And John's been recently ramping up his Bitcoin Core contributions, review and work with Bitcoin Optech as well. So this interview... I think you'll gain some insight into Bitcoin core development process, how it's done, how the sausage is made, so to speak. And I think it's particularly useful for those listeners who aren't as familiar with open source development. Maybe you came to this from a more finance or economics perspective, and even longer time Bitcoiners will pick up some useful insight here. So here is the interview. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for having me on. Pleased to be here. So, John, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the Lightning Conference recently, and I know you are working on Bitcoin Core in a part-time capacity to do some review and development work. Uh, I was keen to discuss with you and help break that down a little bit for the listeners. But let's start with some background on yourself. Where did you come from before all this Bitcoin stuff? Right. So, I was born in the United States, which... One can hear, I think, with my accent, but I've spent most of my life uh, traveling and living around Europe, um, Germany, uh, the former Soviet Union, now France, and I currently spend most of my time between Biarritz in the southwest of France, Paris, and uh, sometimes San Francisco and New York. 
Awesome. And uh, tell us a little bit about your career before Bitcoin and uh, software development, review, etc. Sure. Let's see. For the past decade, I've been a freelance software developer doing software engineering and uh, CTO roles for uh, for large multinational companies, often in Europe. Um, I studied computer science and physics at Harvey Mudd College in Claremont, California, and business at INSEAD in France, which is an international MBA. Uh, I speak English, French, German, and some Russian. Uh, computer languages-wise, I began with BASIC a very long time ago, when I was nine years old. And uh, fortunately, the, the, the teacher in my math class took me over to the admin offices of our grade school, and there was a terminal printer. There was no screen back then, and I learned BASIC. And then uh, I taught myself assembly language for the 6502 microprocessor, and from age 12 to 17, alongside school and athletic activities, I was a professional freelance games creator and programmer. And during my teenage years, I wrote three games that were released for Atari and Commodore computers back in the 1980s. So um, that gives you some idea. I first heard of Bitcoin back in 2013. And I know you uh, were doing some work in the Ruby ecosystem. Tell us a little bit about that. Correct. Uh, While I was doing my, after my studies, I did freelancing, as I mentioned, for large companies. And it was very often using Ruby as well as various databases. So that exposed me to open source. We were using entirely open source software, which I think is a very good thing and the theme of this podcast, clearly. And around 2013, I began contributing to open source. I saw some issues with a a search engine in Ruby. I began contributing to it. And very quickly, the lead maintainer gave me the commit bit and I became the lead maintainer rather quickly. And that became the leading database search engine in the Ruby ecosystem. It's called Ransack. And following which I got my feet wet and I started getting a bit more confidence in how the whole open source process works because it isn't a social process. And I began contributing to the Ruby on Rails web web framework. I became a top 100 contributor out of around six or 7,000 people now who've contributed. And as well began co-editing the newsletter This Week in Rails. So that really was about three or four years of quite heavy open source contributing. And uh, it was a very interesting way to begin. Yeah, that's great. And I think what we can do for this episode is really break that down in terms of what does open source development look like for those people who came to Bitcoin more from the economics or finance angle. Uh, Maybe they're curious to understand a little bit more about how open source development works. What are the conventions, if you will? How does it how does a new proposal come up? How does it get debated? How did how did that how does that flow work? Um, so maybe we could just start with a little bit around how do you get started working on Bitcoin Core? What are some good resources? What are some good ways to attack that problem? Sure. Um, if you don't mind, I'll backtrack a bit and relate my own journey to getting started, and then I'll start providing resources for other people. Um, Clearly, as a as a developer, what I what I have to what I think about day in and day out is probably of more interest to developers looking to get interested, getting involved rather than. But I originally was interested in Bitcoin as well from an investor point of view and the econ finance point of view. Uh, so it's been a whole journey. Um, I, like I said, I first heard of Bitcoin in 2013. I was very skeptical, and uh, that was a foolish idea. But I didn't have bandwidth for it. Let's say I was busy uh, with freelance missions. I started following Bitcoin more closely in 2016 and fell down the rabbit hole, the story we all know, and I began saving money from my freelance missions to begin spending time, hopefully in the future, learning to contribute. So I saved money for about two and a half years. And in March of this year, in 2019, I decided to stop accepting missions and to try to apply myself a bit towards Bitcoin as a developer. At the same time, I applied to Chaincode Labs uh, in late February for their residency this summer. And I hadn't done anything yet. And so, no surprise, I was told I needed to begin showing some proof of work in the space. At least I got to the first interview, though, which I was pleased to have some feedback on that. So within two weeks, I began applying myself to Bitcoin Core to learn how to contribute, which involved basically spending a lot of time on the GitHub repository where the uh, development work happens reading the conversations of, around issues and pull requests. Uh, for your viewers, I don't know if pull request is a familiar term. 
Yeah, so let's break some of that down. So what is uh, what 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 do we use GitHub for? What are some of the common terms that they might need to learn? Right. Uh, so GitHub is a uh, is an online uh, version of the of the Git software with a bit of a social aspect to it to facilitate uh, interaction around code development online in an op- in an open source fashion. Usually. GitHub can be used in a closed source way, but usually it's open source, which means anyone can can view, anyone can follow along, anyone can participate within reason if they don't get themselves banned for bad behavior. Uh, Like I said, it's a social process. And generally, discussion takes place on GitHub where the code base is stored around what are called issues and pull requests. Issues are issues, problems that people have found and are reporting on. Uh, topics to discuss and pull requests are proposals to contribute some changes to the code base or to the documentation. These are online. Anyone can see them and participate. Right. And I think to an outsider, this might look really crazy, right? Because they might be coming from a more top-down authoritarian view where they think, oh, there's this guy in charge and he says, everyone just work on this. But Open source is a different beast altogether. Can you explain a little bit around why it's different and how how does uh, how do different things get prioritized? That's a really great point, and 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 often a source of misunderstanding. People come from corporate backgrounds or job backgrounds, where, as you said, it, it is it does happen that way. Whereas open source is is more of an ad hoc, scratch your own itch sort of process, where people come in, they they have issues, they they try to fix them. Uh, people can work on what they want, when they want. They they can fade in, they can fade out. Everything is possible. Like I said, it's ad hoc, and it's. I think that's the way it should be, and I'm fairly confident that almost any open source developer would agree with that. Nobody wants that it to be structured and waterfalled, and Scrum managers come in and start ordering things around and 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 following issues up on on issue trackers like Trello or whatever. Uh, it's a very free and freewheeling and anyone can participate thing. And I love it. I think that's the way it should be. Right. And uh, again, just playing devil's advocate, right? So again, I, I'm, I'm a fan of open source development myself. But somebody who's an outsider might look at that and think, oh, but what if something urgent comes up and we really need to work on this particular thing? And everyone's just putting their hands up and saying, well, I don't report to anyone. This is open source. That's that's true. And it's good to steel man the process with, with questions like that. Um, in fact, there are a fair number, a very small number, but there are people who work on it pretty much constantly, who are who are day in day out present, uh, working on the on the Bitcoin Core code base and handling issues and discussing reviewing pull requests. There are not nearly enough of them, and even fewer who are experienced. But there is a small number who are working full time and who are more or less mostly supported by sponsors and funding or even have a full-time position to do that. And so these people are very reactive. Awesome. Uh, So look, let's break that down a little bit in terms of, as you were mentioning, there's this code base. uh, And then part of it is a matter of coming to terms with it or coming to grips with it. What are some good ways for a developer to learn about that and then start contributing changes or uh, potential changes, such as a pull request to it? Right. Well, that highlights a common, I think, error that many new people do make in that they come and they want to change things. And that would be absolutely probably the worst step to take is to arrive and start proposing to change things. What is best is to first take take some time to observe the process, to see how review takes place, to see how people interact, what kind of things are desired, what kind of review, at what kind of time. Some kinds of review are desired at certain points in the process and not in others. And to watch how people interact in a positive fashion, giving positive feedback to help construct things in the right direction. Uh, the worst possible thing would be to arrive and start saying, oh, I think we should change this and we should change that. And here's my pull requests. And unfortunately, there are quite a few people do do that and don't take the time to learn the social process behind contributing. Uh, I've been compiling since last March I've been a part-time Bitcoin core developer then, so for about eight months now. Um, and I've been compiling what I've been learning and observing into a document, which we can put in the show notes if, if you're, you're keen to do so. Sure, yeah. 
Uh, one is how to make Bitcoin Core PRs, and another one is how to review Bitcoin Core PRs. And the second one is the first one people should begin with. And there is a list of other articles that people could begin with by Jimmy Song, John Newberry, Pierre Rochard, Jeremy Rubin. Uh, and my articles build on those and go deeply into the process, as I've been observing it since eight months. So you mentioned taking the time to understand the community and the social aspect of the development. And I've noticed there are different communications channels, if you will. So you've got IRC, you've got the GitHub comments itself. There is the Bitcoin and Lightning. They've both, they've each got a mailing list as well. And sometimes just from private emails and conferences and so on. Can you just outline a little bit about the communication there uh, and how a person can learn a bit more from monitoring those? Absolutely. I would say the main three vectors of communication are IRC, which is Internet Relay Chat, which we can define for your listeners if needed, uh, because it's an old school communications channel that many people aren't aware of nowadays. Uh, it's very heavily used for Bitcoin development as well as Lightning. Uh, there, are, there is the GitHub where the m main conversation happens around specific issues and pull requests. And then there are the mailing lists, which people can subscribe to freely. And that is where more in-depth discussion takes place. And finally, there are the BIPs, BIPs, Bitcoin Improvement Proposals, which are proposals that can be adopted, may or may not be on an ad hoc basis in terms of if people believe uh, that they are valid. And uh, I've, in my own experience, I've noticed it's quite difficult to stay on top of all of these different channels. How do you do it? It's crazy. It's a full-time job. Um, to be honest, as a part-time, I'm a part-time Bitcoin Core developer who aspires to hopefully one day work on it full-time, uh, depending on if I find the support, funding, grants, or position doing so, uh, because there's not nearly enough people who are working on it full-time. But really following things along is a bit of a full-time job. And uh, if you're not on it really pretty much night and day, it's pretty difficult to keep up. There's a lot happening. Yeah, and I found one good resource, and I know you uh, have uh, contributed to that as well, is Bitcoin Optech, which is a, a newsletter which uh, spells out kind of the digest version, the weekly digest of what was important over the last week or so. Yes, Bitcoin Optech is a, is a fabulous uh, initiative that I believe was founded, created by John Newberry at Chaincode Labs. John's someone who has really, really been helpful to me. Uh, I could go back and relate how, how instrumental he's been in my in, in what I've been doing the last this year. Um, and I just, every week I review the newsletter before it is released uh, to make sure that everything is as best as it can be. Uh, Bitcoin Optic, I don't know if your viewers are familiar, they provide educational resources about scaling and uh, efficiency and, and how to best work with Bitcoin for industry who sponsors their, their work. They have the newsletter, but they also have workshops and they have a, a Bitcoin scaling book and other, other resources online for people to learn. It's, it's a really good project and I believe they're open to ideas from people for um, taking it to the next level. That's great. I, I definitely, I recommend uh, listeners, if you're interested, to subscribe to Bitcoin Optech. Let's jump into a little bit more detail on the process around what gets merged in, right? Because it's not just anything that gets merged in. And, but I guess maybe if we spoke from a lifecycle point of view, let's say somebody has been reviewing, they've been uh, lurking the communications channels for a little bit of time and now they're a little bit more comfortable with how things are going. And now they've come up with an idea to improve Bitcoin, right? Now, they might typically float that idea and get feedback on IRC or on GitHub. Can you talk through that process a little bit? What typically happens there? Sure. Uh, would you mind if I mentioned, though, I think a very important, completely underappreciated point is that way before getting to that point, uh, it's better to spend time reviewing uh, and testing. Sure. Yeah. The, the, the main thing that Bitcoin is lacking is not proposals for improvements. Uh, by far the greatest resource constraint and bottleneck is experienced review and testing. Uh, Bitcoin, long-term Bitcoin core developers cite these as not only the most needed resource, but also the best and most helpful way to begin contributing and learning reputation in the community of developers. The, the developer community is a very different, very different space uh, from 
the crypto Twitter community or the finance econ investment community around Bitcoin, which is was one of the things that really surprised me when I started making the shift uh, towards the start of this year. Certain topics that everyone else talks about are absolutely not discussed at all. Uh, for example, price. You'll almost never hear price discussed in Bitcoin development circles. It's in fact maybe a good way to 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 not be appreciated. Uh, it's not that it isn't important. I think this is an interesting point for people to understand because it's not that the developers don't care about price. I'm sure they do, like everyone else does. But I think that if you allow price to take up the bandwidth that it takes up on Twitter and in, in the rest of people's mind space, I think it represents an obstacle to contributing in and following the very in-depth discussions there's so much context, so much history, so many things to learn and follow in terms of Bitcoin core development and lightning development that there's just no bandwidth uh, to usefully give to to price. Sorry for the deviation, but I thought that's something that might interest your your listeners. Sure, um, sure. Let's um, let's start, jump into um, the review component of that as well. So let's say you are joining, you want to join Bitcoin and you want to be a contributor and you want to start by reviewing. What does that look like? Are you commenting on different proposals? Are you testing them? Are you providing a, a concept act testing? Uh, you know, can you can you expel out what that looks like? Sure. I think the over the high at a high level, the goal as a newcomer is to try and add value with while being friendly and humble and learning as much as possible. Because no matter what, you're going to make missteps. You're going to say stupid things. I still do. Uh, and I don't think there's an end to that. But a good approach is to not make it about yourself, whereas many people do arrive hoping to get a commit in and, and uh, wow all their friends and local community. But the better approach, I think, is how can I best serve? Um, it's really challenging because the code base has a great deal of breadth and complexities and all the technologies surrounding it. It's not enough to be a good coder. It's not enough to be a good cryptographer. It's not enough without having all the history and the context. And so it's important, I think, as a new person to be aware of everything that you don't know. Uh, the long-term people have years of experience. There's a deep collective wealth of knowledge that has been built up by the community. So you have to keep in mind that some of your new ideas have most likely already been proposed or considered several times in the past. That's why it's important to not just show up in like a bull in the china shop, at least that's my opinion. Um, also, you have to keep in mind that contributor and maintainer resources are limited. There's not many people. So you have to ask for their, their help carefully and respectfully and to try to give more than you take ideally and help more than you hinder as you're getting up to speed. So it's important to try to figure things out on your own and respect other people's time. This begins with following the IRC Bitcoin Core Dev IRC channel subscribing to the Bitcoin dev mailing lists and following everything on GitHub. And before you jump in, yes, you need to observe the, the process and the guidelines, read all the documentation, which I'm sure we'll get to later. It's critical to read the documentation in the code base. Watch the interactions, get to know who is doing what and how they're giving feedback. And then we can get into the details of providing the review. In review, the big picture is more important than NITs code style and spelling, which I still follow into. I still am tempted to say, oh, this word is spelled wrong. This code style isn't nice. Oh, I see this little nitpicky thing. And that actually isn't very helpful compared to understanding the big picture, which is much harder and longer to do. So then let's take that a little bit further then. So an example might be um, you, you're providing some feedback on a, a PR and um, what would that look like? Uh, would that, you know, what would you normally do as part of that? Would you say, you know, uh, pull that branch, test it, and then provide feedback on it? Like, what, what are some uh, ideas there? Okay, con concretely what people do when they, when they review, um, and that's getting a bit more into the weeds where I was going to stay a bit high level, but um, the technical specifics are you need to get really good and comfortable with compiling Bitcoin core from source, because you're going to do it for every single PR that nearly that you review, unless it's documentation only. And you might want to set up an automated system for compiling and running the unit tests and the functional tests, making sure that all passes and reproducing everything. You'll want to be reproducing testing issues, and you'll be wanting, wanting to do the same for every PR that you review. So you launch that, 
and that can take some time. And while it's building and running all the tests, you'll want to start skimming through the code, reading the comments so far, uh, and getting an idea of where in the review process we currently are. Is it the beginning? Are we in the middle? Or are we getting towards the close? For example, acts depend on where we are. If it's this, if it's a brand new PR in a fairly critical or large one, this is a bit more into the weeds, but we're talking now about concept acts and approach acts. Acts are basically comments that approve a change. An act means more or less, I've read this, I've reviewed it, I've tested it, and I think it should be merged. But there are different kinds of acts. You have concept acts, approach acts, and then full stop acts, which basically means, okay, it's ready to go, but you should give reasoning behind it. You could also disagree with a change and you could knack it, which is N-A-C-K, knack. Knacking is something as a new contributor I would strongly avoid doing because it probably means you're lacking context. And I would first question if I understand everything. Uh, I wouldn't knack lightly. In fact, I don't think I have uh, without giving very good justification and reasoning. You don't just say knack. Not if you're a new person, at least. Should we go into what concept and approach acts are? Yeah, sure. Do you want to just outline what they are? Sure. Um, concept acts are things that are given towards the beginning of review, which means that you agree with the concept of the change, but you haven't confirmed that you've really looked at the code or, or tested it, or maybe the code isn't ready to be tested. Perhaps the contributor, the contributor might have said, I'm just looking for concept acts. And so that you would provide one or not. It's a valuable signal. It can be a valuable, valuable signal to an author of the PR to let them know that it has merit and is heading in the right direction. An approach act is quite new. I think that was added in June at the last core dev meeting discussions. An approach act basically means I agree with the concept and the way it's being, the direction of how it's being done in the code base. Could you just outline a little bit around this idea of the structure of a branch and the master, because I think that's also something that an outsider might not understand or appreciate as well. So you might have the master branch, which is, let's say, the main you know Bitcoin core code, and then somebody might be creating their own offshoot, if you will. Uh, could you explain what that is? What is that branch? And then that is what people are testing when they want to do uh, this review work? Sure. The branch, as you said, there's master and then there are branches. There can be branches on the main repository, and each individual contributor can create their own branches locally and then push them up uh, when they're proposing changes. Uh, when these changes are merged, they become part of the master branch. But the, um, the, Git, the GitHub repository also contains release branches, which is most of what people download and install, actually, are release branches for like 0 0.18, 0 0.19, which is coming up now, being released. Um, so on the repository, you have those master branches that people install, uh, the, the release branches, you have the master branch, which, which once every release is merged into a release branch and which contains all the latest changes. And then you have the PR branches. When someone proposes code, they push up their local branch. They've made a branch of master. They've changed it. They've pushed it up in a pull request. And then reviewers will pull that pull request branch down into their local repository of, of Bitcoin Core and test it locally. It's very important to test things locally and not trust GitHub. Don't trust ver Verify. So review <laughs> takes place locally and not... GitHub tries to encourage review on its web interface, but uh, it's generally discouraged, at least in Bitcoin Core, to do that. You pull it down and you review it locally. Got it. And another thing, just to clarify for listeners who are not as familiar, can you just spell out what are some of the different roles here? Because we've got developers, we've got people who are doing review, we've got people who might be uh, doing testing, and then we've got the maintainer role, and then maybe documentation as well. So could you just outline at a high level, what, what are these different pieces and what do they each do? Sure. At a high level, you basically have a large number of contributors. Uh, you have some people who just report issues. And then you have a core of four and now five maintainers. It used to be four, and then in June, there was a fifth one that was added. Um, and maintainers are the people who have the commit bit. And they have, they're the only people who have the right to actually merge changes in after peer review into the master branch, which at one point will be merged into a release. So you have five maintainers. You have a 
a fairly core group of, I would say, 10 to 15 daily contributors who are contributing, reviewing, testing on an everyday basis. Um, it's a very small group, surprisingly. And then you have other people who file issues as they come across them. Awesome. Uh, and I think something that might be very interesting as well is around conflict when it comes to people not agreeing on what should be going into Bitcoin Core. Can you talk a bit about how that is resolved and how that's then dealt with by a maintainer, for example? Well, I can't speak for the maintainers because I'm personally not one, but conflict happens. There hasn't been a whole lot of conflict this year. Uh, I would say if I had to point out one thing where I was surprised to see a, a, a tiny bit, but certainly nothing compared to the the, the conflicts we saw in 2017. Um, there, was, there was a bit of discussion, say, about introducing Rust components into Bitcoin Core, which is a new thing, injecting Rust. Uh, Bitcoin Core being in C++ with testing functional testing in, in Python at the moment. And uh, basically discussion happens on IRC during the Bitcoin Core dev meetings. There is, there is a weekly meeting. There is also a bi-weekly wallet, Bitcoin Core wallet meeting as well as the weekly Bitcoin Core PR Review Club meeting, which we should talk about, I believe, if anyone, anyone interested in getting involved. And I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, that, that's fine. Um, but yeah, basically what I was getting at is that uh, there's a certain conservatism about how oh, right. Bitcoin Core is developed and that things aren't necessarily just merged in willy-nilly, right? It, it sort of has to have that rough consensus idea. Can you articulate what that is? Yes, to be honest, as, as a developer, I'm, I'm a bit surprised how quickly things actually move. From the outside, Bitcoin has a reputation of being very s slow and glacial in terms of progress. And maybe that's the case for very large changes like Taproot and, and Schnorr signatures and things like that, which do take time and rightly so, they should. But at a, at a code base level, things are happening actually rather quickly. If you're not a full-time reviewer, sometimes things get merged in before you, as a part-time, you've even had a chance to really go through it completely. It's very hard to stay on top and review everything. Uh, there's a lot happening. But basically the process is very collegial and there's there's not that much conflict, maybe at a very small micro level, like one person will say, I don't agree with this change and another person might say that. But more or less consensus has come, is, is come to with the, uh, I think it reminds me of the uh, what do you call it? The Internet Standards Committee process of consensus. Are you familiar with that? Uh, I'm not. Can you outline? Sure. So, back in the '90s, there were there there was the Internet Engineering Task Force, and they came together. They brought together the idea. I believe it was Dave Clark back in '92 of rough consensus, and that's where you see the familiar quote, which you've probably seen. Quote: We reject kings, presidents, and voting. We believe in rough consensus and running code. And there's, there's the whole basis of a lack of disagreement is more important than agreement. And that rough consensus is achieved when all issues are addressed, but not necessarily accommodated. So and consensus is a path, not necessarily a destination. You won't necessarily achieve it. And in fact, it states that 100 people could be for and five people against, and it might not be rough consensus. Or... Inversely, five people could be for and 100 against, but it might still be rough consensus. And there's a document that I think people interested in knowing more about could, re could read. I could send you the link if you like. It's the Internet Engineering Task Force Rough Consensus Guidelines. And I suspect that that's more or less how things are happening. Right. And, and my understanding, as I've heard explained by some other people, is that uh, essentially for a change to come through in Bitcoin Core, it sort of has to... It has to pretty much be a net win with very few losses in uh, kind of compatibility or security, uh, or otherwise it, people won't be people won't uh, be in in favor of that change. What's your perspective on that? I think that I completely omitted to mention that the Bitcoin Core repository actually describes the process of coming to consensus on peer review. It's in. It's in the root of the repository, a document called contributing.md, and there's a section entitled peer review. It describes uh, the whole process of review and, for example, I quote from it, maintainers reserve the right to weigh the opinions of peer reviewers using a common sense judgment and also may wait based on meritocracy. 
those who have demonstrated a deeper commitment and understanding towards the project over time, or who have clear domain expertise may naturally have more weight as one would expect in all walks of life. I think that's a pretty good summary. I, I, I apologize if I didn't answer your question. <laughs> no, no, I think that's, um, that's a totally fair enough um, answer there. What about now the uh, testing component of that? So as I understand, there's, there's different types of testing. Can you outline what, the, what they are and what's the importance of that? Sure. I mean, testing is vital. And there are never enough people who are testing Bitcoin Core releases during the release candidate process, which have just been in the last month, or testing issues and pull, re pull requests as they come in. When a, when, when a change or an issue affects consensus critical code, keep in mind that Bitcoin Core's overarching mission is to maintain consensus. Nothing is, import is as important as maintaining that and the robustness and the censorship resistance. So the bar on those sorts of issues is much higher in terms of discussion and peer review requirements because it could be just very costly to the whole community. So those things tend to see many more eyes and need more acts during the review process than a documentation change, which could be merged quite quickly and easily. What about um, the role of automated testing? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what, what is automated testing and what's the importance of that? Automated testing is writing tests that cover, that test a certain area of the code base. It could be a unit test, which is at a very micro level, or it could be a functional test, with test which tests more on an end-to-end -end basis or a user view basis. There are both in Bitcoin Core as well as, as, well as other kinds of newer testing that is being worked on, like fuzzing, fuzz testing. It's another way of saying fuzzing or property-based testing, which I've been working on getting in along with Chris Stewart. Um, Marco Falke, the maintainer and Practical Swift have been adding a bit of fuzzing lately. And changes, improvements to the testing framework, whether making the coverage wider or better, adding missing coverage or improving the speed of these tests are very welcome in general uh, in terms of changes from the community. A good way to start with contributing when one does so, is to add, to improve or add documentation or tests. Test speed is really important because how fast, it, how long it takes to run all the tests, I think it matters in terms of how many people are actually going to run them. And it can be quite long. And so, for example, my last commit to Bitcoin Core was in fact speeding up a, a functional test, uh, which took 30 seconds to run. It was one of 120, 130 tests in the functional test suite. I think it sped it up from around 30 seconds to around eight. And those are the sorts of things that we need more of because faster tests means more tests being run by people. Great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what property-based testing is? Oh, property-based testing is, that's getting a bit into the weeds, but basically you're, um, I haven't got it top of mind, even though I did contribute the, the contribution to it, but people who are interested in looking at it, uh, I encourage them to look into the repository doc, the doc folder where documents are documentation is contained, doc slash rapid check, rapid check because that's the name of the the property based testing library that is being slowly uh, introduced into Bitcoin Core, and there I added some documentation about that. Great. What is an example of a test that you might run in Bitcoin Core, and what is it, or what sort of error might it be catching? Well, a unit test could be as small as testing just a, a, a one single function or one one change in the code base at a very small level. Whereas a functional test, I think, is more easy to grok. Functional tests will will test things like if you call an RPC or, or wallet function, like say if you call get address info, and it might test that the uh, information corresponds to what should be returned and is actually what, correspond, what that information should be. Um, Functional testing can be user user's view of test of, of the code base. Sorry. Functional testing can be a user viewpoint of, of the code base. So for example, you might test if I call get address info, what kind of info am I receiving and is it the correct information? Awesome. Let's talk about the review again. Uh, you mentioned the weekly PR review. Uh, I think uh, John Newbery has been leading this one and running a weekly IRC meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about this process? What is it? Yes, indeed. I've been actually quite involved in the review club. John started it 
in on May 1st, I believe, this year. So the PR Review Club just celebrated its uh, six months of exciting existence. Basically, the Bitcoin Core PR Review Club proposes weekly meetings on IRC. It has its own channel. The club provides questions and study notes to study notes to review and help you understand the PR. That will be the object of next week's meeting. And ideally, you should spend time really going through it, reviewing it, going through the notes and questions and logs of the previous meetings as well. Take a deep dive. It can take hours or even days uh, to really get the most from the weekly meeting. It's every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Uh, Greenwich time, which depends on your time zone when that is for you. And I really encourage anyone who's in, interested in getting involved in the club to uh, to participate. There are typically five to 10 participants per week. So it's a quite exclusive little little affair, but it's open to anyone. And the website we can put in the show notes if your listeners would be interested. Tell us what that meeting looks like. Uh, do you open it up and just say, okay, here's, uh, here's, here's the uh, pull request. What, what, what's the process then? Sure. Um, it's, it's ad hoc. People can jump in at any time and there can be several conversations happening simultaneously on IRC, which is one of the wonderful things about it. And that's all good. That's welcomed. But generally, um, the host of the week, and sometimes it's, it's very often John, uh, sometimes it's other people who guest host. I, I hosted two of them last month. Um, we'll open up the discussion by saying, okay, here we are. What did you think of this PR? Did you test it? Did you review? What did you think? Who, who made a review on GitHub of the actual pull request? which we encourage people to do. And then the discussion goes forward and we follow the questions. Sometimes we do, sometimes the conversation deviates and that's all good. And it's an ad hoc. It's an hour long of ad hoc, simultaneous multi-thread discussion. Okay, great. I'd also like to talk about uh, the process then of documenting and documentation within Bitcoin Core. Can you give us uh, some high level understanding on uh, what does documentation in Bitcoin Core look like? Well, there are two main types of documentation. There are There is pure documentation, which in the Bitcoin Core repository is in the folder called doc. Um, most of it is in that folder there. It is a bit spread out and that it's because there's so much of it and there are so many different kinds of information that it tends to be quite spread out over uh, at least 40, 30, 40 different uh, files, if I recall correctly. You also have documentation in the test folder and in other places. So you have to really just explore. In terms of getting started contributing to Bitcoin Core, I would say there's a, there are three. The first three that one should look at are contributing, which is in the root, the top level. And then in doc, you have the developer notes and productivity. Those are the really the first three that you need. And then you should look at the testing documentation. Again, any, anyone who adds helpful documentation or improves existing documentation, that tends to be well-received in terms of a, of a new contribution. Let's talk a little bit about what directions you would like to see in terms of Bitcoin Core, Codebase. Uh, are there any things that are particularly interesting to you? There's just so much to do. I would say that my personal priorities are in order. Uh, the, the robustness of the, uh, of the Codebase and of Bitcoin Core's functioning and maintaining consensus, followed very closely by maintaining improving privacy and censorship resistance. Those would be my one and two. And after that, features, which are more fun to work on, they're a bit easier, um, and uh, scalability, and then UI, UX, usability for, for average users. I put them in, my, in that order, not for what everyone should do, but that is what my personal priorities are. Um, there are many, many projects going on at any one given time right now in Bitcoin Core. Uh, one of the ones that interests me the most is improving the robustness and privacy of the P2P networking code and the testability. It's it's a really hard area to understand and to simulate and to test. Uh, I think that we could, there's a lot more work that could be done for, if we really want to get into it, there's things like better testing tools and frameworks for evaluating how the behavior changes in complex state when people are making changes. There are ideas like multiple P2P networks instead of just one. 
Um, currently, there's a separation ongoing between transaction relay and block, block relay. Uh, that's being done by Suhas and uh, AJ and, and others working on it. Um, some of these ideas are from fellow Chain Code residents like James Chang, who I really enjoyed getting to know last summer. I forgot to mention that I was in, I ended up being invited to go to Chain Code for the seminars and met some, a really great, great bunch of people. Chain Code is an amazing place. And I was actually mildly depressed after coming home from it because I missed the people and the excitement of being around those ideas and that stimulation. Um, in general, we could use a better framework for thinking about privacy systematically. Simulations for evaluating things like dandelion, light, um, P2P improvements, better test coverage, but also things like improving the testing, like property-based testing, fuzz testing, improving the modularity of the code base, separating, for example, the node from the wallet. There is multi-process work that's ongoing. Uh, that's very slow and difficult to slowly untangle the various components that were all in one file originally called main.cpp and to separate them out into modular things. Uh, Russ Ryanowski Russ, uh, at Chain Code Labs has been working extensively on that. And that's a long-term project. I think it's been doing it for a year or two already, at least. There's the Assume UTXO work. There's benchmarking work. Those are be both being done by James O'Brien at O'Brien, Chain Code. Yep. There's Carl and Corey Fields who've been working on improving builds and reproducibility with, with geeks. Um, there's constant interference from companies like Apple who are trying to make it harder to, to, to do that. For example, the new release, Apple is forcing users to right-click and say they accept... Uh, Apple is always trying to close their garden down. There is Matt, who's working on adding Rust components into Bitcoin Core, along with others. Um, so much going on. Of course, Taproot and Schnorr, which we have the large review, the BIP review that's just begun, and that's a two-month process with, amazingly, over 160 people participating, which is fabulous. Yeah, let's 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 uh, jump into that a little bit. So, can you give us a high-level overview? What is the purpose of the Schnorr Taproot review project? Right. Well, I think we've often heard on crypto Twitter people, often outside of Bitcoin, complain about how slow progress is in things, and then they often like to cite Taproot and Schnorr as examples. Whereas, of course, these these need review extensively, and maybe there was just a need to organize some more to organize it more systematically and extensively. And that's a fabulous initiative that's been taken up by, um, I'm sure I'm going to miss a name, but people like AJ, Anthony Towns, who is AJ, on, his nickname is AJ on IRC, Mike Schmidt, uh, Steve Lee, and others who I'm certainly forgetting, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, they've basically organized this whole eight weeks of review by topic. There's a curriculum, and people signed up for it, and we've split off into around 10 study groups maybe even more because there's 160 people involved now. And we meet once a week on a per group basis. And then there's there are two one-hour question and answer sessions on, IR, sessions on IRC with people like Peter Whaley and, uh, who I'm mispronouncing, uh, other experts uh, like Andrew Polstra and Anthony Towns. And, uh, and it's... Uh, really good to be able to ask questions away and to and then to go back home and to individually review and then and then to propose changes if needed. I completely forgot Gregory Maxwell. He's also involved present he's been present at the question and answer sessions. And there's nothing more amazing than seeing people when you get together in the same IRC room, Gregory Maxwell and Peter Wela and Andrew Polstra and Anthony Towns riffing away on on Taproot and Schnorr. It's an amazing thing. That's awesome. Also, I'm keen to ask you more at a high level, what are some things that you see, obviously you've got some open source experience even before Bitcoin, what are some unusual or exceptional things about Bitcoin Core compared to other open source projects? That is actually a very good question uh, to my mind. Uh, one of the most impressive differences in my experience, which was working with web, web frameworks and databases and search engines, mostly, is that here we have a code base that is very critical and bugs can be so costly. And so there's not only the criticality, but there is also the, the lack of experienced reviewers. And we really could use more. 
And this leads to an interesting situation where maintaining acts has much greater importance than other code, other projects I've seen. Other projects often things will not be merged until everything's just right. Test coverage is complete. Uh, all the syntax nits have been handled, and the linter smashes everything down to to be just as it should be. In Bitcoin Core, things are often merged in an incomplete state, simply because if there are enough review, is there enough review behind something? Someone could find some things that still should be changed, but then we don't want to lose the acts that have already been the review time that has already been invested in it. It might well be merged with a follow-up. Okay, as a follow-up, we'll handle the missing test coverage, or we'll handle the missing suggestions to improve the code base style, or this and that uh, to make it more modular or more readable for developers or to add documentation. There are lots of little bits and pieces that are often not finished, but review is so critical and so difficult to come by. Once there's enough review, things get merged, even if they're not not complete. And that is quite, quite new to me. And I've had to overcome a lot of instincts on that. Right. Yeah. Another one is, uh, I've seen this acronym BDFL. What is a BDFL? Ah, a benevolent dictator for life. Yes. I've I've actually got was turned off from open source because many so many projects out there are led by a BDFL as well as programming languages and everything's fine for the best of everything until you find yourself in stark disagreement with the BDFL and you realize that the BDFL always wins. And for example, in the Ruby on Rails framework, um there's for example DHH who is very well known uh, at least in that ecosystem. And he can basically override with an iron fist the entire Ruby on Rails core team if they disagree with him, if he feels strongly about something. One thing I found really nice about Bitcoin Core, and that it personally was very important to me to becoming involved again in Bitcoin in open source, was seeing the lack of centralized BDFL attitude, at least from what I can tell, in the Bitcoin Core maintainers. Yes, the, there are only five who have a commit bit, but it really does seem, the consensual approach really does seem to be respected. And there seems to be, the closer you get into Bitcoin Core, I find the more humble people actually are. And I think that's amazing. Um, I find it inspiring, that sort of open source, humble, how can I serve attitude, rather than not, this is the way it's going to be. And I, I really like that. I'm really drawn to that ad hoc approach. And that's a really important reason, along with the activism and principles behind Bitcoin. That's why I'm here. And I would say that many, many people, if there were to be a BDFL, or if the ad hoc approach were to be lost, I think a lot of people would leave. At least I would. Yeah, it's a, I love the explanation there. It's a, there's a certain ethos around it. Uh, and it, it is fair to say that Bitcoin Core has a very... There is some history and specialized knowledge required, and that uh, I, th I think leads me into the next topic I was keen to discuss, is which is around funding of developer time and developers who are working on this. Now we have some organizations in the space that are doing this. So obviously, Chaincode Labs, uh, Blockstream. Uh, I think Zappo is funding. Uh, you know, AJ for example. Uh, there's MIT DCI. There's now Square Crypto as well. Uh, what's your view around funding for these developers and reviewers and contributors? What's your take? Sure. And to their credit, uh, Zappo, I also hired a one of the Chaincode residents last summer, Amidi, who I, I think is working with uh, with AJ. So yeah, that's two for, for Zappo. Congrats. Um, you also have grants. Um, you have um, sources of grant funding and sponsorship. For example, some of the some of the exchanges like BitMEX Research has been, even Bitmain has been sponsoring people in the past. Uh, I think OKCoin has done a bit of funding, granting, and I, I hope that they will be involved more and more in the future. There's Kraken that's perhaps coming into this. They've hired Pierre Rochard to... to to I hope hopefully develop their open source program, uh, among other things. I think he's working on the strategic side of of things for for Kraken, which is a great exchange, uh, as you would agree with. <laughs> um, there there are some say that there has never been a better time to be funded, 
and sponsored. And I would say that from what I can gather, most of the daily present Bitcoin core people are either working full time uh, on it, paid to do so, or are funded in ad hoc ways, receiving grants or sponsorships. Jeremy Rubin, I believe he he received something from BitMEX Research or OKCoin. I'm not sure. I'm certainly mixing people and grants up. Um, Square of Crypto is hopefully looking into funding some individual developers, but they need to, they've got a lot going on with the team they've hired. And they did, of course, support BTC Pay Server. Um, there's different things afoot. I personally would be interested in finding something like that for myself. Um, I'm relatively new, uh, but this is something I'm inspiring to, to move sustainably from part-time a few hours a week to full-time. That's great. And do you believe uh, more is needed? What would you like to see in the space? Yes, definitely there is more needed. There are not enough people who are present every day reviewing and testing issues Keep in mind that at any given point of time, Bitcoin Core alone has roughly 700 open issues to test, 700, and roughly 300 open pull requests that need to be tested and reviewed, and and all of these take time. Some of them are, are, are old and sitting there and, and rotting or need to be picked up by someone, but that's still a great, a great number of things that need help. Uh, so yes, I very much encourage companies, industry, who are not yet supporting open source to get behind open source and do their part. As for myself, I, I've been saying to myself that if I do not find funding before I run out of runway, uh, although I do do some freelance work, I do some lecturing at universities, I've been turning down full-time hardcore missions, which is what I was doing for a decade, and just doing little things in order to preserve time for Bitcoin Core, which has a very great opportunity cost. But I said to myself, if I run out of runway or just um, don't find any support, perhaps maybe what should be done is to make an industry organization that goes around and develops it, builds a developer fund uh, from people in the space and angels and organizations, companies, and maybe perhaps bring to bear social norms to encourage each other to to up the ante and 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 participate and be involved. Because if Bitcoin isn't solid and robust. How is that going to work out for the exchanges and, and different people in the space? And I know that Steve Lee is interested in Miles Suter at Square Crypto. And I think John Newberry and, and Adam Jonas and, and many others are interested in Pierre Rochard as well and bringing some social norms to this so that everybody, so it becomes a norm to, to help and not the exception. Of course, people who've been, there are some angels who've been heavily solicited, like the two Chain Code Labs founders and I. I believe John Pfeffer, who I have not yet personally interacted yet with, but these people have been supporting individually for, for years, uh, Bitcoin. And congratulations to them. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's great to see. And uh, hopefully, uh, as uh, Bitcoin grows, we'll start to see more and more uh, companies realize that they want to be building on a very solid foundation. And part of that involves funding uh, development and education around Bitcoin and particularly uh, Bitcoin Core development and contribution. Potentially even other Bitcoin whales, right? They should be thinking of it like, hey, my, I want to protect my investment. I want to help ensure that Bitcoin stays resilient and stays strong. Absolutely. There are really good reasons to, 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 to help Bitcoin protect your investment. Absolutely. Um, visibility for your, for your company, public relations, having a voice. Uh, having a more credible voice, uh, uh, I believe, not necessarily influencing developers directly because the developers, it's important to let them work on what they feel is important, but developers will probably be more amenable to listening to you and your concerns if if you're helping the, the open source community. It just all makes sense. Excellent. Well, look, I think we're coming close to time, but uh, John, if you had any closing comments for the listeners, make sure you uh, just uh, leave, leave them with some parting thoughts on uh, Bitcoin Core and development. Personally, I'd like to, to really personally thank um, John Newberry and Adam Jonas and Chaincode Labs for all the help they've given me in the last eight months, uh, helping me ramp up to become a Bitcoin Core developer. I want to thank the maintainers and long-term contributors on Bitcoin Core for, for all that they do. Um, I think that people underestimate how difficult and it, it can be to be a maintainer. It takes a great deal of patience and generosity and, uh, and time. 
and uh, and don't underestimate the the difficulty of it's not a power trip at all. And as people might imagine from the outside, it's really humble service and gardening, pulling weeds and trying to maintain make the Bitcoin core garden as healthy as it can be. And uh, I encourage everyone to help Bitcoin core, lightning, open source, get involved and do what you can. Fantastic. So look, before we let you go, John, make sure you know t- you tell the listeners where they can find you if they want to get in touch or if uh, potentially if one of the listeners would like to fund you, how can they get in touch with you and keep up with what you're doing? Thank you. Um, well, I have a GitHub and a Twitter account and also a Mastodon account. And all three are J-O-N-A-T-A-C-K, lowercase, J-O-N-A-T-A-C-K. That's my first name and last name. That's my Twitter and my GitHub. And I'll be putting a website up soon online uh, as a sort of a blog and what I am working on and proposals for for funding grants and uh, perhaps a position working full-time on Bitcoin Core. Excellent. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thank you very much for joining me, John. Thank you, Stefan. I hope you found that educational. Make sure you check out some of the links in the show notes. This is episode 124. You can find everything at stefanlevera.com. You can subscribe and also find the transcript there as well. Also, just a reminder, leave a review for the show if you enjoy this and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels. Mm -hmm.